0: morning everyone okay have your outline there as well as your bible Uh, the goal of our morning today is really just to work through uh, that whole passage sometimes we'll move fast sometimes we'll move slow and pick up uh, different points along the way so you really do need to have your bible open there in front of you uh, or some kind of device but now we're going to pray Gracious Father, we give you thanks and praise, and we are again at awe at just the fact that you have brought together a people for yourself, a people to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved by his grace. Thank you that we see the beginnings of this in the book of Acts, and we experience it until this day as we know you by faith in Jesus. And we pray that you would strengthen us and our faith and encourage us as we read of their example. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who are the Christians that you look up to? Who, who are those Christians who have been an example to you in your faith, in your life? I have many, an older man named Bill. Uh, he took the time to meet up with me when I was a young adult uh, and to ask me how my faith was going and read the Bible with me. Uh, a man named Ed, he taught me, he showed me what it was like to live a life of sacrificial service to Jesus. Uh, And then, of course, there's my parents, uh, who have persistently served Jesus for more than 30 years and been an example to me. Well, today in our passage, we see Paul in Macedonia, and it's the Christians in Macedonia that Paul says are the example to be followed. Uh, I wonder if you knew that. Hopefully we'll see that by the end of our time, digging through these passages. But first, let's get our bearings in Acts again. We've been following the adventures of the Apostle Paul as he preaches the gospel and as he plants churches. But last week, he took a little bit of a break from that because there was a controversy. Paul and Barnabas and the apostles, they met in Jerusalem to settle the debate. A Gentile who follows Jesus, do they have to be circumcised to be saved? And the decision was, no. We sinners, Jew or Gentile, are saved by grace alone. Through faith alone, not works. Praise God. But then Paul continued on with the task. He didn't stop and wait any longer. He sets out from Antioch on his second missionary journey. So you see Antioch off in the west, east there, sorry. Uh, And he sets off this time with Silas, a famous man in the New Testament. Uh, And he goes to the churches. That he planted before. So he travels through Syria and Cilicia, and he reaches Derby and Lystra, where he's been before. Uh, there, along the way, Ben mentioned it before, he grabs Timothy and takes him along with him, Timothy, another very famous man in the New Testament. And so Paul, he encouraged the Christians in these cities. Uh, these churches continue to grow in faith and in number, and on Paul keeps going through Galatia and Phrygia. This is all in modern-day Turkey for us. And then we reach our passage today. And it's at this point that Paul and his mates, they encounter some problems. But they're not the usual problems that they seem to face of persecution or false teaching. So we're going to get into this passage today. Uh, In our chapter today, we see Paul's ministry mainly in Macedonia with Silas and with Timothy. Uh, But first, we have to see their journey to Macedonia. Uh, Because it seems Paul, actually, he didn't have an intention to go to Macedonia. Uh, Look at the problem that they faced in chapter 16, verse 6. It says they, uh, Paul and his travellers, Paul and his mates, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and were prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in Asia. That's West Turkey for us. Then they came to Mysia, northwest, uh, and they tried to go into Bithynia in the north But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So God, the Holy Spirit, is stopping these men from proclaiming Jesus. That doesn't seem to make sense, does it? How does he do this? We don't know. It doesn't say at all. We don't know how, but we do discover why. Why is the Holy Spirit stopping them? Let's read on. Uh, they reach Troas, if you kind of scan over those verses, and here's a picture on the map, on the map again. Uh, they reach Troas, a port city by the sea, uh, and they go to bed that night, and then the Holy Spirit reveals why he's been pushing them along and sending them west. Look at verse 9. It says, During the night a vision appeared to Paul, A Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to evangelize them. So why did the Holy Spirit stop them preaching in some of these places? They were trying to preach in Asia, in Bithynia. God had another plan. He wanted them in Macedonia. He wanted them to cross over into Europe. Now, there's a lesson for us here in this. God may guide his people in different ways, but ultimately, he does whatever he pleases. It's important that we're careful how we apply what's happening here for Paul and his friends. Uh, We don't know how the Holy Spirit prevented uh, these, these men from speaking in those places. And so it's not good or wise for us to kind of draw comparisons and look at our circumstances and say, oh, God clearly wants me to do this or that. We need to be careful how we use those kind of words and that language. Uh, We need to make sure we're reading and listening to the Scriptures, God's clear word, not listening to our hunches. God guides us by his clear word, uh, how to live. But Paul does get a vision here, doesn't he? And it's true that Paul, more than 99.9% of Christians had visions and revelations given to him. He's an apostle and he stood out in that way. But what people often don't notice is that even for Paul, the one who stands out, the visions were something that stood out for him. They weren't his common experience. They only happened here or there in his life. The rest of the time, he had to use his reason and use his gospel wisdom to work out where to go and who to speak to. And in fact, Paul intentionally played down the fact that he had had visions and revelations. He didn't want people's faith to be based on him. He wanted it to be based on Jesus and the gospel. And so you can see here that they, Paul and his mates, they tested the vision. That's the other thing we see here. See, in verse 10, it says they concluded together. It It was a communal effort. And they worked out, yes, God is calling us to Macedonia, but they discussed it and worked it out. There's wisdom for us. If any of us think we have a word from God, if any of us have a big decision to make, well, you use your uh, mind, you look at God's clear revelation in the Scriptures, you test all things against that, and you share it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't go off rogue doing something yourself. No, you say, what what do you think about this? What does the Scriptures say about this? Does this sound like a wise and godly decision? You test it. And you ask for help. But even bigger than that, I think what this shows us is that, in the end, God just does whatever he pleases. Do you think you can understand and discern all the plans of God? Do you think you can stop what he ultimately wants? We've been reading the book of Ephesians in our gospel teams, in our small groups during the week. Uh, In chapter 1, God gets called the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will. Don't presume to know the mind of God. Submit to his word and submit to his decision and plans and wisdom. No one can stop his wisdom, his plans, his decisions. And the Holy Spirit here just sends these men wherever he wants them to go. That's what we see happening here. So at this point, Paul wanted. Uh, in this, at this point, God wanted Paul in Macedonia to preach the gospel, to save those that he had chosen And appointed to eternal life. So off they go straight away to Macedonia. They pass through some of the towns until they reach the big city of Philippi in Macedonia. And now it's at this point that Luke slows right down and tells us all about what happens in Philippi. Philippi doesn't exist as a city today, uh, but it's hugely important in the Bible. So Paul's letter to the Philippians, written years later, he says about them, I have you in my heart. He says, you are dearly loved and longed for. You are my joy and my crown. These Christians that we hear about here, these first Christians, they are deeply uh, important to Paul. And it seems that the, the church in Philippi was the most generous church that we read of in all the scriptures. Here is the beginning of that church. The first people who came to know Jesus there. And we just get a few gold moments along the way. So there's a lot here. We're going to look at Paul's travels and his efforts in Philippi. Uh, Come with me. The first person that we get to meet who comes to know Jesus is Lydia. Now there's no Jewish synagogue in Philippi. uh, But there is a place of prayer near the river for a tiny number of Jews in that city. And so Paul and his gang, they meet up with them and and they proclaim Jesus to them. And there listening is a woman named Lydia. She's actually not a Jew. She's a Gentile, but she worships God. She's come to know the God of Israel. And in one sense, she's, she's the prime candidate for someone to hear about Jesus. She knows the Old Testament. She knows the Messiah is coming. But look at how Paul puts it in verse 14. This is one of those stunning verses in the book of Acts. A woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul. As she hears about Jesus, the Messiah, the Saviour, the risen Lord, Jesus himself opens her heart to hear, to accept Paul's message, to believe in Jesus. That is a wonderful moment. Never skate over a verse like that. When the good news of Jesus is preached, yes, it must be preached faithfully. Yes, it must be clear. Yes, we have to plant the seed. Someone has to speak it. But God brings the growth. And Jesus, by his spirit, opens the heart of his people to believe, to pay attention to the gospel. Remember that. Remember that and be humbled. It wasn't your intellect that means you decided to believe in Jesus. He opened your eyes and remember that and rejoice at his work in you. So straight away she's baptised and so is her whole household. Maybe her servants or her children, we don't know who was there, Uh, but they were also saved that day. The Lord is at work and this is the beginning of the church in Philippi. It's meant to get us excited. Uh, Another person, another household in another city has heard about Jesus and been saved. Does that stir you? Praise God. Uh, But then Paul and the boys, they keep up their ministry in Philippi and more amazing things happen. So Paul, uh, he continues to proclaim Jesus and then one day they meet a demon-possessed girl. She's a slave and she makes money for her owners by fortune-telling. Now we might have all sorts of questions about this girl and her abilities and this demon, uh, but at this point, Luke doesn't want to answer the questions. Luke, who wrote Acts, he just wants to point out one thing. The power of Jesus. Look at verse 18. For whatever reason, Paul puts up with her for for a few days. I don't know why he does that. Uh, But then he's fed up. Verse 18. Paul was greatly aggravated and turning to the Spirit said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her right away. Such is the power of the name of Jesus. Satan and his demons stand no chance what's the lesson for us? Demons and evil spirits are real, but if you are in Jesus, you have nothing to fear. Jesus is Lord. He rules over them. He's defeated them. The power of his name defeats them. But then this triggers this chain of events that I think Paul was probably trying to avoid. Uh, When the slave girl's owners realize they can't make money off her anymore, Uh, They're livid. They grab Paul and Silas and they take them to the authorities and they accuse them of meddling and causing trouble. And then we get another one of those kind of chaotic frenzies in the book of Acts. And we see this clear picture of what humanity is really like. Look at verse 22. There's no trial. There's no evidence. No evidence. There's just accusations. Uh, And they strip Paul and Silas and they beat their backs with rods. They throw them into prison, into the deepest cell and they chain them up and lock the doors. It's horrible, and it's unjust. And I'm sure this is not the ideal situation that Paul had in his mind when he he cast out that demon. But it doesn't take God by surprise. No, it actually falls exactly in the plans of God that he had made before time began. Because God uses this situation for his glory. And we get the story, the wonderful and famous story, of the Philippian jailer. Uh, Just look at it again and see how beautiful it is. It starts in verse 25. Look there. What do uh, Paul and Silas do in this situation? How do they respond in the dark dungeon? They pray and they sing. They can't sleep from their wounds and the hard prison floor and the discomfort of their chains. So what do they do? They sing hymns of praise to God. It's like we've been seeing in Ephesians in our gospel team, in our gospel teams, Paul and Silas know that they have every spiritual blessing in Christ, and whatever happens, nothing can take them away. Whatever happens to our circumstances, whatever happens to our bodies, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Nothing can take it away. So there is always reason to pray and sing for God's glory. And all the prisoners can hear, it says. See, God uses Paul and Silas in this awful situation to bring glory to his name. Is there any more powerful testimony than that? Than when God's people hold on to their faith and declare God's praises through suffering, through struggle. The world looks on and sees Jesus is worthy. The gospel is powerful. But it's now that God decides to do a prison break. Everyone loves a good prison break TV show or book, don't they? Here's God's version of that. Look at verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer, he's meant to be guarding all the prisoners. He wakes up and and in a a frenzy, he doesn't know what to do. He thinks everyone's gone. His boss is not going to be happy with him. And so he thinks his boss is going to kill him. And so he decides to take matters into his own hands. Uh, The apostle Paul yells, stop. No, we're all here. Don't do it. And he is shocked. This jailer is humbled. And he knows that these events must be from the God that Paul worships. So he falls down before Paul and Silas and he asks that all important question that every person should ask. Have a look at verse 30. He says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a question. That's the question that every single person should ask. It's the question that every Christian wants to hear, isn't it? From our families and our friends. Uh, I was once asked this question by someone. Uh, It was a guy who was invited to church. It was their first time ever to a church. Uh, And after the service, I introduced myself. I was being friendly. And basically straight away, he's like, so what do you need to do to be saved? And I was like, oh, okay, we're getting straight into this. Uh, Sadly, this man was not asking with the same heart as this man from Philippi. Uh, This guy was just asking out of interest in what Christians believe. I don't know what happened to him after that day, but it was still a privilege to share the gospel with him. Um, But this man in Philippi, he is ready to hear and believe the gospel. Look at what Paul says in verse 31. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. There it is again. That wonderful message of the gospel that we are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. He forgives our sin through the death and resurrection of his son. How does the man respond? Look at verse 33. He, the jailer, took them and the same hour of the night washed their wounds. Right away he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had believed along with his entire household. There is the power of God on full display. You think the earthquake was God's power? No, this Is God's power, bringing a whole household from death to life. And it's not just the jailer who believes, is it? It's his whole house. Maybe his servants, his wife, his kids, we don't know. Uh, But the gospel keeps bearing fruit. And this man, he's transformed, isn't he? Because straight away, he's meant to be guarding these men, but he takes them home and gives them a meal, washes their wounds and talks to them about the Lord Jesus. And notice again, it says, right away they were baptised just like with Lydia. For whatever reason today, often people come to faith in Jesus, but then they don't get baptised sometimes until much, much later, even years later. And We might be able to point out the different reasons, the circumstances for that, but can you kind of see how that's not the pattern that happens here in Acts? In Acts and elsewhere, it's you believe in Jesus, okay, where's the water? Uh, and you're baptized straight away, if baptism is a symbol of salvation, of Jesus washing us clean, making us new, and, and giving us faith in him, then it makes sense for that to happen when that faith first happens. And, of course, it's just a wonderful opportunity for celebration. And so if you, for whatever reason, doesn't really matter what the reason is, if you're a follower of Jesus and you still need to be baptized, then make it happen. Talk to someone today. Talk to one of us. Put it on your feedback slip. Don't delay the joy and the celebration that this wonderful symbol is. It's not like you must be baptized to be saved. No, we're saved by grace through faith. Uh, and it's, but it's also not like baptism is this special next step that you take. No, faith is the big step. Turning from idols to serve the true God, that's a huge step that a person makes when they come to Christ. Baptism Is simply the symbol of that first step of accepting Jesus and experiencing his grace. So don't delay. Take Jesus at his word. Jesus said, go and baptize to his disciples. And and Peter said, uh, repent and be baptized, each one of you. And I'm sure that you and all of us together, our family in Christ, will just rejoice at God's work uh, when you stand and are baptized. It doesn't get better than that. Next Sunday, did you know? You probably didn't. Uh, we're baptising someone at our Bexley North congregation. What a joy! A new Christian who's come to faith, and we're baptising our boy Eli next uh, week here in the morning. So look forward to that. So now two households in Philippi have come to know Jesus and salvation in Him. Uh, it didn't go to what to Paul's plan, did it? But it went to God's plans exactly. And this is the birth of God's church in this city. It's beautiful. Do you rejoice in that? It might seem like humble beginnings, but this is God's power at work. God is breaking into history. He's shining his light in the dark, broken world that we live in. The gospel is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. Here we see that power. Well, all this happens in the middle of the night. This was one big night. Uh, And in the morning, the authorities, they want to wrap up the matter quietly. Off you go, they say to Paul and Silas. They don't even care about the injustice they've done. And Paul is like, um, no. <laughs> he says, you beat us in public without a trial. You put us in jail for no reason. And we're Roman citizens. He plays the Roman citizen card. And so the officials are afraid now. They, they apologize. They plead with Paul and Silas, please leave town. We don't want to get in trouble for what we did to you. Uh, and so off Paul and Silas go. They drop into Lydia's house on the way. They encourage the brothers. And then off they go to the next town so that's the amazing events that happened in philippi uh, and the and the lord at work there and i want to encourage you to go home and read the book of philippians where we see the fruit of these early efforts of paul you can see how paul and the philippians continued to encourage each other well now in the last part of our passage we're just going to be brief here we're going to look at paul in the other parts of macedonia uh, in thessalonica and berea now, we won't delve into all the details here. We're just going to draw out a few encouragements along the way. So the next town that Paul goes to is uh, way up there in the northeast. Is that east? No, that's west. I mean, I get that mixed up. Um, the next town is Thessalonica. And you can go to this city today. Uh, and we can see what happens in the beginning of chapter 7, what happens in this city. So what happens? Well, things play out like they do in so many other places. For three weeks... Paul preaches that Jesus is the Messiah in the synagogue, Uh, Praise God, some of the Jews believe, and many, many Gentiles believe. God is at work, the gospel is bearing fruit, and a church is born here. And as usual, what happens? The Jews who refuse to believe stir up trouble and a riot. They attack some of the Christians. Uh, Jason, he's a faithful man. Uh, He refuses to give up Paul and Silas. And so the authorities fine him, and then Jason and the other believers, that night, they send off Paul. They smuggle him out. They risk their lives, actually, and their well-being. And that's just another example of the gospel transforming people, and that Jesus is worth the risk, worth the pain of persecution. Physical harm, the loss of money, or worldly security, the gospel of grace is good enough to hold on to and to hold true to above all those things. You can read more about uh, the example of the Christians there in the book of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Uh, Go home and read this week about how Paul and they encouraged each other. And so off Paul and Silas go to the next town in Macedonia called Berea. Uh, Today the city of Berea is called Veria, um, but back then it was Berea and something else amazing happens in Berea. And it's actually something that doesn't happen anywhere else. Have a look at uh, chapter 17 verse 11. Did you notice this as we read it? Paul and Silas preach in the synagogue and verse 11, the people here were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. Since they welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so, consequently, many of them believed, both Jews and Gentiles. This is a great model for us. These people trusted God's written word. They examined and tested everything against God's scriptures in the Old Testament. And because they knew and they looked at the scriptures so clearly and so well, they were like, yes, of course Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one the Old Testament has been pointing to. And so they believed and were saved. It's a wonderful model for us. God's word needs to be our source of truth, our authority in all things. Are you a Berean believer? who whenever they encounter something, they go back and say, what do the scriptures say? What should I do according to God's word? But again, the unbelieving Jews stir up trouble for Paul. Uh, They had to flee, and so off they go to Greece, to Athens, and we'll hear more about that next week. Let's bring it together and wrap up. You see, the thing about Paul's ministry in Macedonia is that the Macedonian Christians became an example to the rest of the world. God had a plan to send Paul there. It wasn't Paul's plan, it was God's plan. And that he would bear the fruit of the gospel in wonderful ways. We're going to just look at a few examples of how Paul spoke about the Macedonian Christians. Have a look at 2 Corinthians 8 on the screen. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction... Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. See, the Macedonian Christians in these towns we've just read about, they were extremely poor, but they were also extremely generous. They begged for the privilege of giving. They're an example. Well, look at 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul says, You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, Greece. For the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place where your faith has gone out. And there are other places where Paul says similar things about the Christians in Macedonia. Wouldn't we love to have that be our reputation? To be known as believers like those Macedonian believers, like Lydia and the Philippian jailer, like Jason from Thessalonica, like the scripture-hungry Bereans and many, many more faithful believers who aren't named. They are examples of faith and love and generosity and boldness for Jesus. Again, I want to encourage you to pick up the book of Philippians and the books of Thessalonians this week and see and follow their example. But more than that, doesn't Jesus deserve the glory for his work in Macedonia? See, it's his gospel and it's his grace that saved and then transformed them. He sent Paul and Silas to preach the good news. He opened Lydia's heart to believe the good news. He brought those Macedonians to himself, to the glory of God the Father. It's Jesus who works in us by the same gospel. Let's pray. We're going to pray using one of the prayers that Paul prayed for the Macedonians. Uh, Let me pray this wonderful prayer from 1 Thessalonians and please join me with Amen at the end. Let's pray together. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace encourage our hearts and strengthen us in every good work and word. Amen.